Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue studying our way through God's Word. Now in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing another message in our series on the church. Perhaps you're looking for a church, a people to connect with, a place to worship and to serve. We would invite you to come and to worship with us at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing a message about the church entitled, This Is Us, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Let's listen together. Well, everyone has a family, and every family has a story. This Is Us is a TV series. Maybe some of you have watched that over the last few years. It chronicles the Pearson family across the decades. It's a very kind of intriguing approach to uh, TV uh, programs. It takes Jack and Rebecca as young parents in the 80s, and uh, they're now 37-year-old kids, Kevin, Kate, and Randall, as they search to seek to make their way through life. The show goes back and forward in time, and it shows and reveals how even the tiniest of events in our lives impact who we become and how the connections we share with each other can transcend time, distance, and even death. Someone said this about the program, This Is Us. It is touted as a modern show that will welcome you into a family you feel you've known for years. Well, I don't know if that's been a part of your TV watching. Uh, that uh, series covered seven seasons and was completed in May of this past of this year. Though captivating and somewhat life-affirming in its characters and its writing, This Is Us is definitely not a Christian series about how Christians deal with family matters or family issues. In fact, the subject of faith is glaringly absent from that series as it unfolds over its seven seasons. But going back to that first statement, everyone has a family, and every family has a story. That is very true, isn't it? It's very true. And indeed, the tiniest of events in our lives impact who we become. Some of those connections that are made, almost accidentally or coincidentally, through those connections we share with each other, lessons and experiences are learned that transcend time, distance, and even death. And if those things are true about earthly families, and they are, earthly families that are not Christ-centered, How much more true are they regarding the family of God and the body of Christ? 
Two weeks ago, I shared a message with you regarding some of the metaphors for the church that we find in God's Word. The Bible tells us that the church is like a building that is being built up. You and I as believers, we are living stones being built together to shape into a building, a temple, a, a house uh, for God to dwell in. The Bible says that we are like a field that is planted and produces a harvest. We are the bride of Christ. It also says that the church is a family, and we find the household of faith and family connections throughout the New Testament as being an example of what we share together as the people of God and as the church of God. But maybe the most common metaphor is the fact that we are the body of Christ. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about. These metaphors, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, clearly instruct us that we cannot be free agents in the kingdom of God. There are no independent contractors. We're not individual Christians that are free to live our own way, do our own thing apart from the church, even though we have seen many ugly things done in the name of Christ. And some of us have experienced significant hurt in the church of God. We still have to understand and realize that a Christian apart from a local church is something unheard of in Scripture and unintended by God. You cannot be pleasing to God with your Christian life, no matter how hard you try, apart from commitment to and a covenant relationship with a local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with this idea of the body of Christ in mind, let's look to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we read, let me kind of set the context since we're jumping right into the middle of 1 Corinthians with this message. And it's a little background about this church and about this city in which it was located. Chuck Swindoll gives this description. Corinth was a large international metropolis filled with people from different backgrounds. Idol worship to God, such as Aphrodite, was particularly prominent in the city, though Corinth contained numerous temptations far beyond her temples. In this sense, Corinth was very much like a modern urban area containing unending opportunities to engage in sinful behavior without any apparent consequences. Did you get that last line? That Corinth was very much like our world today. Any large metropolis, any urban area with unending opportunities to engage in sinful behavior without any apparent consequences. Well, evidently, the church at Corinth was not immune to those influences. 
This was, of all the churches we read about in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, or any of them that had letters written to them later on, this appeared to be the most troubled, the most worldly congregation of them all. So many uh, influences impacted this church. There were reports about problems in this church that were coming to the Apostle Paul, who was probably writing this letter from Ephesus to the church at Corinth. He loved this church, and he loved these people, but they were a problem, uh, a, a problem-oriented uh, congregation in so many ways. There had even come a letter from Corinth to him that we don't have the privilege of reading today that talked about the divisions. And one of the divisions they, they had was over spiritual gifts. There were those who were saying that certain gifts are more important than others and that there was kind of a hierarchy in the congregation over those who were more important than others. So Paul writes a letter to them. Actually, he's going to write two letters to them. And in this first letter, he, he uh, addresses the divisions and the quarrels in the congregation. There was sexual immorality in the congregation. Members were taking one another to court. There were lawsuits among believers. He talked to them about marriage and singleness, about freedom in Christ, about how they were to conduct themselves in their worship services. He talked to them about the significance of the Lord's Supper and also about the right use of spiritual gifts. He's basically saying to these Corinthians, as a reminder, you are in Christ and you have been made different from the world around you. And you need to live in a godly, Christ-honoring way as a result. He reminded them that they had been bought with a price. Therefore, they needed to glorify God in their bodies. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to begin with verse 12. And rather than reading all the text, there's three paragraphs we'll cover today. And I have three uh, points to the message, all right? Three words. I'll go ahead and tell you what those words are. The first one is unity. The second one is diversity. And the third one is harmony. And each of those words goes with a paragraph of our text. So we'll read it and talk about those points as we go along rather than reading through it twice. These are... The Lord's words to a family, a church family, you might say, this is us. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. All right, what is he saying to us? He's talking in this first short paragraph, these two verses. He is talking to us about unity, 
about what it means to be the people of God in the world. Notice the repetition of that theme of unity. The body is one. Later he says, you are one body. And then he says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And then he concludes verse 13 by referring to drinking of one spirit. So you see the unity. You see the, the connectedness of these people of God. Now we need to understand this. I, I remember growing up and being taught uh, so much in my earlier years of ministry that there's only one baptism mentioned in the New Testament. And that baptism is water baptism. Now as important as water baptism is, you cannot deny that the Bible teaches there is such a thing as spirit baptism, of being baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking about here when it says for uh, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. It's talking about what takes place at the moment of salvation. He's talking about being born again. He's talking about being saved. He's talking about conversion. He's talking about repentance and faith. He's talking about what happens when a person comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And what he says is that what happens in the spiritual realm when you are saved is that there is a baptism taking place and the Holy Spirit is baptizing you into Christ into the body of Christ, that there is an eternal transaction taking place. There's something taking place that you cannot see, that you will never fully grasp until you are with the Lord. But he's saying you are being placed in Christ. And the term in Christ is used countless times, dozens of times, perhaps a hundred or more times in the New Testament, that this is our position in Christ. We are in Him from the moment of our conversion. The Spirit baptizes us into Him. And what that means is that in Christ, we have overcome our sin, or shall I say, Christ has overcome it for us because Jesus paid the price for our sins, died in our place on the cross, suffered a, a torturous substitutionary death, and then was resurrected on the third day. In Him, being spiritually in Him as a result of conversion of this spirit baptism, then we too have experienced that victory over sin and death. And we are positionally made perfect and made complete in Him. And I ask you, has that ever happened in your life? For me... I was a very simple-minded child at the age of nine when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I had very little idea all of this was taking place. 
All I knew was I was a sinner and I needed to be forgiven of my sins. I needed Jesus Christ as my Savior. I wanted to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell. And so I made a public decision to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have since learned that so much more took place. Now, as a result, listen to me, child of God, if you are a true believer in Christ, then we share the highest, the most precious connection in all the world. We have been ransomed. We have been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Consider this. You get any group of people together in the world. Any club, any civic organization, any neighborhood group of friends. You get any group of people together in a worldly scenario, in a worldly gathering. And that group, whether large or small, will eventually devolve, not evolve and become better, but they will devolve to their least common denominator. You remember reading the William Golding novel when you were in school? Maybe you don't recognize that name. Maybe what you recognize instead is the title of his book. It was called Lord of the Flies. Do you remember Lord of the Flies? That these group of young, civilized, and cultured British boys are stranded on an uninhabited island. And it was such a shock to those who later discover them and rescue what's left of them, what they had become over time. They devolved to the point that, that they were uncivilized, they were feral, they were even murderous in their behavior. It's interesting that the original name for the story was not Lord of the Flies, which, by the way, is a biblical term. It is the word Beelzebub. It is a name for the devil. But the original title for the story was Strangers from Within. And it should not surprise us because the stranger from within is our sin nature. It is the old man. And when we do not have Christ living there, when the Holy Spirit is not present inside a person's life, understand we will not get better over time. We will never become righteous no matter how long we live. We will never become kinder, gentler, more loving to others, but rather we will grow hardened and smaller and we will devolve. You see, the only thing that tames the old man, the stranger within, is the new man, the Holy Spirit coming to live within us and understand this no matter how different we are no matter how different our backgrounds our families of origin our life experiences our passions our desires about life understand this we have one thing in common as the people of God that sets us apart from everybody else in the world, and it is the presence of God the Holy Spirit living in me and living inside you. 
and the challenge of our Christian life and the challenge for us as a church is to learn to be spirit-led, guided by the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the work of God in our hearts and lives rather than shaped by worldly values around us. And this is what we have in common. This is where our true unity is. Our unity is not in the fact that we all like the same music, that we all dress the same way, that we're all at the same stage of life. Our unity comes from all kinds of other uh, diversity from where we come from. Our unity comes from the common spirit who lives in us. Now let me say three things about that unity. First of all, it is the unity It is a unity that is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer for us. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prays aloud before his disciples for the believers who are going to be saved as a result of their ministry in the ages to come. And what does he pray? He prays for us that we will be one just like the Father and the Son are one. Unity is the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer. Disunity, this is the second truth, is a reason given that's so serious, it is a reason given for church discipline. The Bible talks in Romans 16 and in Titus 3 about those who cause disruptions of unity in the church. Those who are gossips, those who are troublemakers, those who who, uh, uh, cause division among the people of God. And the Bible says, the Lord says, Lord, I appeal to those, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those people and to put them out of the church if they will not repent. He said, that's not the Spirit of Christ. Did you know that the Lord speaks more harshly about those who disrupt unity in the church even than he does about those who cause uh, uh, conflict by teaching even false doctrine? That too is a reason for exclusion, for church discipline. But he speaks more often about those who disrupt unity. Number three, this unity is to be protected. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is the Lord who has made us one, but it's you and me that have to, with His power, protect that unity and seek to maintain it. Now listen to me, members of Calvary Church, those of you that have been members for a long time especially, Those of you whose membership predates my coming here almost 10 years ago. The people that have come into our church, those that have joined here recently, the the 10 new members uh, that we celebrate and we're so thankful for. These members went through a new member orientation that some of you were never required to do. And in doing so, They came to the end of that where they had the option of becoming a member or not. And in becoming a member, they are asked to sign a membership covenant. Now, some of you can say, well, that's just as unscriptural as it can be. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about that, about signing anything. 
But I believe we have freedom to do what's needed to be done in the day and time in which we live. And that's one thing we do, that you can't become a member of Calvary Church without signing a membership covenant. And that membership covenant involves four commitments. Commitment number one. I will protect the unity of my church. How will I do that? By acting in love towards others, towards other members. By refusing to gossip. By following our leaders. Commitment number two. I will share the responsibility of my church. How do I do that? So many ways, but for instance, by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. Commitment number three, I will serve the ministry of my church. How will I do that? By discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, by developing a servant's heart. In other words, I will be an involved serving member. Commitment number four, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving regularly. Now these are commitments for covenant membership in Calvary Baptist Church. And shall I say, if we're going to require that of new people, those of you who know the Lord and remember this church for a long time, it's a commitment you ought to be modeling yourself. Maybe we need to just start all over and require anyone who wants to become and truly be a participating member of Calvary Church to have to sign such a commitment. It would sure keep churches from having more people out there somewhere scattered around the city or around the county that are not attending church. It would sure keep that kind of lazy membership, which is not true membership in the body of Christ, from ever taking place. Understand, the unity that we share is a unity that transcends race. What did he say? Whether Jew or Gentile, it transcends economic status, whether a slave or free. It transcends language, culture, or any other thing that separates and divides people. But I want to say to you, there is an imitation unity that people are trying uh, to uh, implement today. It's being played out in many churches. It's not the true unity of the Holy Spirit like we see at the church at Corinth. Instead, it is uniformity. And uniformity is not true unity. Uniformity is where we take a music style, a ministry style, a target audience, and many other strategies and tactics, and we try to grow a church using what is a business model approach to growing churches. Does it work? Yes, it works. But what do you have as a result? And it works at what cost. So many 
of the congregations, the mega congregations around the country today are made up of churches that are being built on a business 101 model. It utilizes the very same tactics as Walmart or Target or Amazon would use to market their products to you. And I want to tell you, that's not what the church was ever intended to look like. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's why I've stepped back from almost all leadership conferences, leadership books, leadership resources. There were years of ministry that I immersed myself in that, that I filled shelves full of books about how to be a better leader. And some of that stuff is very, very good. But can I tell you folks, leadership is not my biggest problem. You know what my biggest problem is? It's fellowship. When someone comes along and says, I'm going to do a conference, I'm going to write a book on how to be a better follower of Christ, how to be a more effective servant of God, that's what I need, and that's what I'll go to, and that's what I'll invest in. I don't need more of the world's ideas and the world's standards for how to do church ministry. I need something to help me be a better follower of Christ, not a manipulator or user of people. I realize you didn't pay for that. I just went ahead and spilled my guts to you anyway. But let me remind you, the middle letter of the word unity is what? I, the middle letter of pride is what? I. And every day I have to choose which one of those that I am going to live for. The unity of the body of Christ or pride building some kind of monument that would cause my name to be lifted up. And guess what? You have to choose every day which one of those you will live by as well. Well, Point number one is going to take much more time and did than what point number two and number three will, okay? Point number two is diversity. That's a word that's very popular today, right? Diversity. He's going to talk about diversity in the context of spiritual gifts beginning in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot, now he's going to speak almost facetiously here, almost, almost sarcastically, but not really. He is just making a very straightforward example. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. That means to set with design in a certain arrangement or position. God has arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. This too is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God for it. Now the focus shifts from one body to many. There's one body, but there are many members. We comprise one body in Christ, but we are composed of many individual members and parts. Here's the point. Many different parts. All are equal in importance. All are equal in importance. You and I got ready for church today, right? And there's certain parts of our body that we gave a lot of attention to. Namely, hair, if we have any left, face, eyes. We gave attention to a lot of that. There are parts to our bodies that we gave no attention to. He's going to mention later, and there are some parts of our bodies that you even cover up. Thanks be to God for that. Although sometimes some people don't cover up as much as they should. Can I get a witness? But the focus in this paragraph is still the one body, but he is recognizing and acknowledging and validating the individual parts. Now he does so in the aspect of spiritual gifts. But you know there's a whole lot more than just spiritual gifts that makes you valuable to the body of Christ. One of the things that, that uh, maybe you've heard me mention before, it's been a while, is that everybody has a different shape, right? A different shape. S-H-A-P-E. Spiritual gifts. We have different spiritual gifts. H, heart. We all have different passions that we feel strongly about, right? A, abilities. These aren't spiritual gifts. These are just natural talents or maybe skills that we have learned over time and that we have gained uh, through practice or through teaching. So we have spiritual gifts. We have our heart and passions. We have our abilities. P, personalities. We all have personalities, right? And sometimes we'll say so-and-so has a really good personality. I never will forget when someone was trying to set me up for a date back in high school and, and, I, and I would ask about who it was, they would say she has a great personality. I knew to go the other way. Because when you're a high schooler and you're talking about a date and the first thing they talk about is personality, it may mean that she just, now I'm not going to say it, but you know, that she may not be a whole lot to look at. Personalities. But there are, guess what? There are no bad personalities. Did you know that? There are no bad personalities. Now, the way we express it sometimes 
can be meddlesome or troublesome. But everybody has a personality. E, experience. Everybody has life experiences they bring to the table. Every one of you, every one of you believers, every one of you members of Calvary Church, you bring a spiritual gift or more, maybe two or three. You bring your heart, your passions. You bring your abilities, your personality, your life experience to the table. And I'm going to tell you what, that makes for a very richly blessed congregation. If everybody looked just like me or acted just like me or loved only the things that I love and, and, and had the same gifts that I have, and if everybody was just like everybody else, we would be so unnecessary. But because we're so different, it makes us even that much more necessary. If you go back to verse 4, uh, back before these verses that we just read, notice that he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but it's the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And if you go down to verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. We are put together by God. We were formed in our mother's womb by God. Our life experience up to this very moment in time has been by the providence of God at work in our lives. And that won't change tomorrow. It is all to make me who I am, to make you who you are. And there is a diversity in the body of Christ, a diversity of gifts and abilities, of life experience, of personalities, of temperaments, of giftedness, of experience. There's a, there's a diversity of culture, of color, of class, but we are more than a collection of parts. We are one body. And verse 7 said, and each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. And that brings us to point number three. Harmony. Verse 21 through 27. The eye cannot say to the hand. I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Are indispensable are necessary. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, you know what he's referring to there? He's referring to our private parts. And our unpresentable, our private parts, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. 
Why? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I have a history of kidney stones. There's a big debate today whether or not men can give birth. Well, we can to kidney stones. <laughs> we can. I quit counting at 30. And I'm going to tell you what. Sometimes it's not been a big deal. But a few of those times when one member hurt, we all suffered with it. It made my fingers hurt. It made my toes hurt. It made my ears hurt. I hurt so bad in so many places. I repented of sins I never even committed just to see if it would help. Anything I ever thought about doing, I repented of. When one member suffers, we all suffer. That's the body of Christ. That's the interrelatedness of the body of Christ. And see, these, these independent agents, these, these free agents, you know, Christians, who don't want to be a part of a local church, they don't want to have to be bothered with your hurting. But sometimes they're the first ones to yell and holler when they hurt and there's no one there. Every part of the body needs every other part of the body. Now, now that's not just the fact of how we need each other. But God is saying here that there is a shared life within the local body of Christ that, that creates a harmony, a, a symphony. One of the words in this, in this chapter is, the, is a form of the Greek word symphoneo, symphony. There is a symphony created when every part is tuned and playing together in the body of Christ. But listen to me, there's something more. There is the principle of synergism. Are you familiar with that word, synergism? It's when you take two or more very different and distinct things and you bring them together, and when they are brought together, they form and they create not just the sum total of their individual parts, but the effect gets multiplied many times over again. It's the Old Testament principle when the Lord said to his people, one of you shall put ten of the enemy to flight. But two of you, working in harmony together and fighting together, will put a hundred or more to flight. It's the idea that there's a synergism that's created through our unity and our diversity. There comes a harmony. We are one body, 
But that one body is composed of many diverse individuals. But we're not just a group of diverse individuals all doing our individual thing. But, but we feed together and we, we strengthen one another, one another together. We make one another better. And by being together, those individual parts, those diverse parts, the one another commands of Scripture as we love one another and serve one another and pray for one another and comfort one another and provoke one another to good works and reprove and correct one another as we do all of these one another commands. The power of God through the Holy Spirit is released to save, to heal, and to restore hurt and broken people. You say, well, I'm not so hurt and I don't need restoring. Yeah, right. You don't sense the need of other people? If that's the case, you're so full of pride and self, you don't know how bad off you are. I need you. You need each other. That's the truth. And if you don't feel that and if you don't sense that, just hold on. Just hold on. God will give you some circumstances that will cause you to realize how desperately you need the body of Christ. So I ask you, Calvary family, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get what God is saying to us as a church family in this passage? He is saying that he wants to work through us. He wants to work through you to be a blessing to others. He is saying that everyone, everyone here, and a number of folks who are not here this morning, are essential members of this local body of Christ. Listen to me now. He is saying to us, Set aside your pride. Set aside our preferences. Set aside our politics. Set aside our partiality. Set aside our piety. And even set aside our procrastination. Lay aside everything that gets in the way. Take up a wash basin and wash one another's feet like Jesus did. He's saying to be a true, all-in Christian. Follow Christ, the divine servant. Dear friends, let this be us. Let this be us. Would you read these two verses with me? We've read them several times together. Let's read them in harmony together. Can we put them on the screen? And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you for this marvelous, amazing thing called the church. Man could not have dreamed it up. Thank you 
for making us a body, a family, all these things that we are. May we love that and appreciate that more than ever. May we live in covenant relationship with one another, willing to commit ourselves to what it means to be the church, to glorify you with all of our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, You can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.